In April 1989, in a small Ohio town, a family of five was guided one by one to a barn where they were bound, gagged, and thrown into a pit. And there they were shot dead. The killings were ordered by the preacher and self-proclaimed prophet, Jeffrey Lundgren. He managed to convince his followers that they needed to kill the family to help prepare for Christ's return to Earth. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sinister Society's A Spotify Original From Podcast. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Every week, we're going to cover your favorite cults, faith followers, and secret societies. We'll look at how some of the biggest secretive societies and cults have made their fortunes. And how they've also managed to run in plain sight and permeate into your everyday life. Today, we're going to cover Jeffrey Lundgren and the Kirtland cult. We'll get into Lundgren's formative years as a devout member of the reorganized Church of Latter-day Saints, a church that would later excommunicate him. And we'll get into how he came to believe that he was chosen by God to assist with Jesus' return to Earth. For this sacred moment to happen, Lundgren told his small group of followers that people would have to be sacrificed. Uh, We've done this one on our mother show, Mm -hmm. Red Handed. Yes. But we did it so long ago that I had almost entirely forgotten that we Mm -hmm. had. Yes. I think this is the first... One of the no, I think it was the first Mormon case we ever covered. Ah, uh, probably, probably. It was many a year ago, and yes, it, it has got all the the fixins of a fixins. classic cult case all here today for you guys, because it once again features a very narcissistic individual who believes that apart from God and maybe Jesus, that he is he's the top dog, mm-hmm. big dick on campus, that he and he alone can pave the way for the Son of God to return to Earth by killing people for some reason. Could have made some room. Yeah, yeah. We're full. So let's get into Jeffrey Lundgren's early life. Jeffrey Lundgren was born in 1950 in Independence, Missouri, if you're just tuning in, then you you won't know. Uh, then why have you skipped the first six yeah, minutes right. of this podcast? Yeah. You're just tuning in. I have an obsession with state mm-hmm. mottos. Don't know what Missouri's one is. But someone sent me an Instagram DM. And did you know that each state also has a logo? Oh. So, yeah, I, I had a great time looking at those. Well, it sounds like the kind of thing that would happen. <laughs> would you like to know Missouri's yes. state motto? Yeah, is it rubbish? It's in Latin. Oh. What does Missouri State motto mean? Okay, it means... Oh, all right. <laughs> Let the welfare of the people be the supreme law. Oh, catchy. <laughs> That's why they were like, eh, can we just put it in yeah. Latin? <laughs> and then in like a curly-whirly font so no one actually knows what it says. <laughs> Perfect. So uh, Jeffrey Lundgren was from Independence, Missouri. We don't know how good his Latin was. But we do know that his family were reportedly emotionally distant toward him. As we mentioned a moment ago, he was raised in the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is now known as the Community of Christ. The church is a faction of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, more commonly known as the Mormon Church. 
The reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was founded in 1860 by former members of the LDS Church who refused to acknowledge Brigham Young as Joseph Smith's successor. In 1920, the reorganized, the RLDS Church, moved to Independence, Missouri. Joseph Smith once claimed that God told him that Zion would be in Independence, Missouri. Maybe that's why it's in Latin. And it's uh, also where Christ would return. Hmm. And like the Church of Latter-day Saints, the RLDS believed in the authority of the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants. So back to Jeffrey Lundgren. He went to Central Missouri State University. And this is where he met his future wife, Alice Keeler. She was 18 when they met and also a member of the RLDS church. Alice attended an RLDS youth camp where she was told that she would go on to marry a man who would, quote, do great work for the Lord. Which, as a woman in religion, that's like the best thing you could be told. And also at a youth camp for the RLDS. (laughs) I'm guessing there's a wealth of young strapping men there who are just gagging to do some great work for the Lord. I bet. With their penis. Quite. (laughs) And a man who was reportedly helping to establish Zion. This is the continuation of the prophecy that Alice hears. He's going to do great work for the Lord and he's going to also help establish Zion. And Alice believed that Jeffrey was this man. On their dates, they would talk about the Book of Mormon and Zion. Jeffrey believed that Zion was a, quote, holy state of being where followers would see the return of Jesus Christ. Jeffrey soon started pressuring Alice into having sex with him. Alice had actually wanted to wait for marriage, but Jeffrey, he just wanted to do the nasty. He wanted to bone, yeah. He did, he did. And uh, he said that Alice had, quote, unleashed something that he couldn't stop. Oh, her fault, classic. (laughs) Gotta blame those vaginas. But maybe he's trying to, as like a a flattery, he's like, look, Alice, I was totally going to wait for marriage too, (laughs) but you're so hot. You've just unleashed something in me that I can't control and I just have to, I just have to have you. Uh, Why is it that men doing great work for the Lord so often pressure women into sex? It's horny work. (laughs) (laughs) Jeffrey also told Alice to drop out of college because women didn't need a higher education. He also wouldn't let her socialize or work outside of the home. And throughout their 20 years of marriage, he sexually, emotionally, and physically abused her. According to Alice, Jeffrey would use scriptures to justify his actions. Classic. And she also said that he came from a family that demanded him to be perfect. Alice has been quoted as saying the following, When perfection is demanded so you can be loved and accepted, and God is the only perfect thing, then the only choice is to become God. And that's exactly what Jeff did. That's the end of the quote there. Pretty intense. I think there are other options. Jeffrey joined the Navy shortly after they got married in 1970. In 1972, he got transferred to a destroyer ship that was going to Vietnam. While he was away, Alice moved in with Jeff's parents in Independence, Missouri. After being honorably discharged from the military, He also moved back to independence. And it was around this time that Jeffrey decided he wanted to join the RLDS priesthood. And he also re-enrolled in college, where he eventually got a gig teaching a freshman class. But in 1977, the couple got into some financial problems. They're $22,000 in unpaid bills. 
and a $22,500 mortgage. It's a lot of thousands. That is a lot of thousands, especially in the 70s. So sometime after that, Jeffrey told Alice that he had found a job with the now defunct airline TWA. Around this time, police arrested Jeffrey on suspicion of writing a bad check. He had bought a gun, which he then sold for $300. He wasn't charged, though, and the police actually let him go. Here's a profit. Mm-hmm. They're famously good at slipping out of police clutches. Precisely. Alice eventually discovered that Jeff had lied about getting a job with TWA. He had never, ever even been employed by them. Well, that's a bearing false witness. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Bingo. <laughs> And in the early 80s, Jeffrey was once again arrested for writing bad checks. The charges were later suspended and eventually actually scratched from his record. And in 1983, he was asked to resign from a job for using a company credit card for personal expenses. <laughs> I wonder what that's like. Jeffrey Lundgren was finally ordained into the RLDS priesthood in October 1983. He was 33 years old. One of his first sermons focused on scriptures about God's wrath and how God would destroy wicked people. Presumably that doesn't include people who write bad checks. But in 1984, when the RLDS voted to allow women to be ordained into the priesthood with their nasty vaginas, Jeffrey wasn't too thrilled and he started holding Bible classes for fundamentalist church members. Things who liked it done the old way. <laughs> And this is also the year that he and his family moved from Independence, Missouri to Kirtland, Ohio. Kirtland is a small town about 20 miles northeast of Cleveland, and it's home to the Kirtland Temple, the RLDS Church's original temple, also known as the House of the Lord. Jeffrey got a volunteer job as a tour guide at the Kirtland Temple. In return for no pay, he and his family were given housing. Jeffrey taught Sunday school classes on the Bible and the Book of Mormon. He soon had a good amount of people following his classes because of how much he knew about the religious texts. According to the Cleveland newspaper, The Plain Dealer, after only a few months of arriving in Ohio, Jeffrey claimed that God had spoken to him and that God wanted him to lead a revolution in Kirtland. Coming up, we'll get into how Jeffrey Lundgren made quite the career leap from temple tour guide to one of God's prophets. And we'll get into that revolution. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa from the ParCast series Mythology. Every Tuesday, join me on a wondrous journey back in time, exploring the most epic battles, sweeping love stories, and harrowing adventures ever told. Heroes, gods, monsters, mayhem. This podcast has it all. From the Knights of the Round Table and Hori the Hunter to Paradise Lost and the Lost City of Atlantis. Each episode of Mythology dramatizes history's greatest stories, bringing their origins to life and giving insight into how our ancestors saw the universe. Ancient myths, modern twists. Catch new episodes of Mythology every Tuesday and binge the classics anytime. Listen free only on Spotify. So let's get into how Jeffrey Lundgren went from being a temple tour guide 
to profit. Reportedly, while giving tours of the Kirtland Temple, some visitors would ask Jeffrey where the golden plates were, and he would tell the guests that they were down the road. The golden plates they were referring to were the ones that, of course, LDS founder Joseph Smith claimed to have discovered. They're said to have ancient texts inscribed on them. Smith claimed to have translated the text with the help of a magic stone, and his translations obviously became the Book of Mormon. It's also been reported that Jeffrey Lundgren asked for and kept money from people who took his tours. During his time as a guide, the temple's contributions dropped significantly. In October 1987, the church eventually fired Jeffrey, and they also evicted him from the house he was living in with his family. This is the thing, even when he has a job and a place to live, I know he wasn't getting paid, and obviously that's pretty shit, but he can't keep his fingers out of the till. No, and also he chose to be, like, no one's making you do that. Mm -hmm. But it's the classic classic psychology of a cult leader, like, narcissistic, I deserve more than anything I have, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I'm just going to take it because it's mine anyway. So the church's president at the time said that he was let go for, quote, ethical and moral issues that are critically important to us. The News Herald in Ohio would later report that officials from the temple accused Jeffrey of stealing between 25 and 40 grand from the temple. How much are these people paying for fucking temple tours? Right. First off, was it with you when we were in, we were in somewhere and we went to go and look at a church and they like, it's a donation of a fiver. And we were like, it's not a donation if you're making me give it to you. That's a ticket price. It is. But we're not going to call it that. We're just going to call it a donation. Yeah. And if you don't give us a donation, you have to leave. Yeah. But the plot thickens because through the classes that he was teaching prior to being removed, Jeffrey Lundgren had established his own small group of followers. They were attracted to Jeff's knowledge of the scriptures, especially the Book of Mormon, which was kind of the least he could do, really. Jeffrey Lundgren followed something called the chiistic method of scripture interpretation, which is basically making it up as you go along. So essentially... It's difficult to explain, but what the chiastic method involves is searching for recurring patterns within the text. So like tea leaf reading of the Bible. Yes, exactly. It's like, oh, well, the letter F has been repeated seven times on this page, and that means I'm an elephant. Like, you just make it up. Honestly, it's like a bunch of people smoking weed and then reading that book and being like, but look at what's secretly also in here. Type eyes. Yes, exactly. And if you want to know what that's about, uh, you can't. (laughs) Basically, Sarita and her friends came up with an idea for a pie shop that sells only mm-hmm. Thai-themed pies. Thai-themed pies and call it Thai pie. Mm-hmm. Tell them what else. And you can have a side of massa mash with it. Right. So in court documents, it is said that Jeffrey didn't understand the historical context of the Bible and instead focused on this esoteric method. I would argue that historic context of the Bible is kind of a bit of an oxymoron. Yeah, I love that this was in an official court document, like it explains anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just really missed the historical nuance of this particular passage. No, he's just making it up. And also when you go on to find out the things he did, it's like who gives a fucking fuck what he thought of the Bible. And as we mentioned earlier, Jeff would just use his interpretations of the Bible to justify his actions. So that's very helpful when you're just making it up as you go along. Jeff attracted people who didn't believe in the RLDS liberal social policies like women in the priesthood. And he told his followers that Zion was in Kirtland, Ohio, which contradicted what Joseph Smith had claimed about it being in Independence, Missouri. 
Jeffrey also told them that God had chosen him to prepare for Christ's return. And he told his followers that to ensure Christ's return, they would need to forcefully take over the Kirtland Temple and that, quote, an earthquake would elevate it and that Christ would return and establish Zion. After Jeff was fired from his job as a tour guide, he moved his family to a rented farmhouse in Kirtland. Some of his followers also moved into the house, including a friend from his Navy years. Court documents show that Jeff's followers who lived at the house gave their paycheck directly to him. This was supposedly for house expenses. And the followers who lived there also called Jeff Dad. No. Mm. Unsubscribe. Don't like it. So not all of Jeff's followers lived at the farmhouse. The Avery family, for example, chose to live separately. The Averys were a husband and wife, Dennis and Cheryl, and their three daughters. The Lundgrens had befriended the Averys in Missouri. They sold their house there and moved to Kirtland. But they didn't give Jeffrey all of the proceeds from the sale of the house, which he thought of as sinful. Of course he did. Yeah, unsurprising. Mm -hmm. Jeffrey told his followers that they would need to sacrifice 10 people to purify the community for Christ's return, which, according to court documents, Jeff described as, quote, pruning the vineyard. There's a lot of vineyard imagery in the New Testament, like... God is the vine and I am the branches. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And I'm look- trimming away these other branches by killing dead people. <laughs> Jesus wasn't so much into the pruning. No. He was more no, into no, the, no. I am the vine. Mm-hmm. Fair, fair. He never does actually say that, does he? he no, no. Kill a bunch of people. To my knowledge, mm. <laughs> Jesus did not advocate for the sacrificing of 10 people. No. He seemed like a cool dude. Um, it's all these other people, you know? Eventually, Jeff wanted the men in the group to start training with firearms, perhaps to prepare for the recapturing of the temple. The Ohio newspaper, the News Herald, because they couldn't decide on just one name, (laughs) reported... The News Herald Bugle. (laughs) The News Herald Bugle. The Daily News Herald Bugle. On Sunday. The Daily News Herald Bugle on Sunday. (laughs) The News Herald reported that people had complained about gunfire and military-style drills at the farmhouse. Jeffrey's friend from the Navy got fed up with Jeff's radicalized teachings and left the group. He moved to New York State, where he told the FBI's field office about Jeff's plans to take over the temple. Good for him. Good for him. And I'm also, in my head, this temple is being guarded by, like, one little old lady. Like, I don't think he needs an arsenal to take it over. But it's more fun that way, isn't it? Uh, Well, if you're Jeff, then Mm -hmm. yes. But we're all grateful that we're not. The Kirtland police were then alerted by the FBI and asked Jeffrey Lundgren about his plans. He reportedly said that he needed to speak with his, quote, higher power before the takeover could happen. Unsurprisingly, that's when Kirtland police began watching the group's house. You're going to set off some alarm bells. Yeah, they just turn up at this farmhouse with like a cross outside and there's like <laughs> people just firing guns and screaming inside and they're like, yeah. what are you up to? Mm-hmm. And they're like, we're just doing Bible study. Uh, but I need to speak to a higher power before I can speak to you. And no, it's not my attorney. It's my Lord and Saviour. Bye. Up next, we'll get into the sacrifices Jeffrey Lundgren claimed had to be done to bring about the second coming of Christ and for the creation of Zion. 
So, let's get into the brutal Kirtland murders. At some point in 1988, Jeffrey Lundgren got it into his head that Dennis Avery and his family were threatening Jeffrey's position in the group and that they would need to be killed. Around this time, Jeffrey also changed his original plan of taking over the Kirtland Temple. He now said that to achieve their goal, they first needed to kill the Averys. By October 1988, the RLDS church had excommunicated Jeffrey Lundgren from the church. In early 1989, Jeffrey also told his followers that before Zion could happen, they needed to go on a wilderness trip where they would see God. And members who had jobs even quit them for this. Jeff encouraged his followers to max out their credit cards and apply for as many new ones as they could. Members were given specific duties that would help the group survive in the wilderness. The men of the group were reportedly all soldiers who were in Jeffrey's, quote, Army of Israel. By mid-March, Jeff had managed to get hold of 4,000 rounds of ammunition as well as a gun that could bring down a helicopter. Around April the 12th, 1989, a few members of the group started digging a pit in the dirt floor of Jeffrey's barn. On the 17th of April, the Averys went to dinner at the Lundgren's house. After dinner, Jeffrey and his son, Damon, along with four followers, went to the barn. Jeffrey then directed a follower to bring the Averys one by one to the barn. Once there, they were bound and gagged by some of the followers and then put into the pit. Jeff then shot each member of the Avery family. They used a chainsaw to drown out the sound of the gun. Some of the group then filled the pit with dirt and stones. And once they were done, the group went back to the farmhouse and prayed. The following morning, FBI agents, the local police chief and other officers went to the farmhouse. They asked members of the group about a possible plot to take over the Kirtland Temple. They all denied this plot, however. They also didn't mention anything about the Averys. Not long after the investigators left, Jeffrey and his followers took off to a remote campsite in West Virginia. It was later revealed that the FBI's visit had made the group nervous. As it would, presumably. So when the group were in West Virginia, Jeff decided to take a second wife. But when that didn't work out, the whole uh, thing with the second wife, he then chose a married woman, whose husband was also a member of the group. Bad moves. The husband obviously got upset about this and was actually able to stir up some dissent within the group. In October 1989, the uh, month and the year that I joined this wonderful world. <laughs> the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. <laughs> Jeffrey Lundgren moved his family and the remainder of the group to Missouri. He now only had about 10 followers. Around two months later, in December, the estranged husband of the woman Jeffrey selected as his second wife told the US Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, the ATF, about the Avery family murders. He also gave them a drawing of the barn that showed where the bodies could be found. Jeffrey Lundgren was taken into custody and charged on the 7th of January, 1990. At his trial later that year, he said that he had a vision in which God told him to kill the Averys. Well, that's all right then. He also said to the jurors, quote, It's not a figment of my imagination. 
that I can, in fact, talk to God, that I can hear his voice. I am a prophet of God. I am even more than a prophet. Prophet plus. Jeff, unsurprisingly, was found guilty on five counts, each of aggravated murder and kidnapping, and he was sentenced to death. He was executed in Ohio in 2006. The indictment charged that Jeffrey was the mastermind and the trigger man in the killing of the Averys. The prosecutor's office also obtained multi-count felony indictments against Lundgren's wife, Alice, his son, Damon, and 10 members of the group. Aside from two former members, the rest are now currently serving or have served time in prison for all their convicted crimes. Alice was also found guilty and sentenced to 150 years to life for five counts of conspiracy to commit aggravated murder and kidnapping. She'll be eligible for parole in 2092. And I don't think she'll make it. I don't think I'm going to make it to 2092. (laughs) But it's important to note that Alice didn't participate in the murders. She was actually 10 miles away when the Averys were killed. So I've got a weird and a sad fact to end on because that's how we like to do things. And it's what's odd is that the Averys pretty much vanished without anyone noticing. No one reported them missing. And remember, they were killed in April 1989, but their bodies weren't found until January 1990. That's a long time. It's so sad. It's sad. I can't think of anything worse, really. Well... I can, but <laughs> if you're a family, you know, make sure you socialize with some other people. <laughs> yeah, well, right, yeah. Don't just move your entire family into, in, a cult. into a remote farmhouse down the road from a cult. All good advice. But that is it. That is the story of Jeffrey Lundgren. And the Kirtland Cult. And the Kirtland Cult. Done. Finito. And yes, like Anna said, we have covered it before on Red Handed, where we cover all manner of other things. So come check that out too. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And we'll be back next week with another great episode. For today's episode, we found the book Prophet of Death, The Mormon Blood Atonement Killings by Pete Early very helpful for our research. We also referenced the research papers Blaming the Victim, The Miscarriage of Justice in the Case of Alice Lundgren by William D. Russell. And Violence and Tragedy, Jeffrey Lundgren's Legacy by Jean Murphy. Remember to follow Sinister Societies on Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. You can listen to this and all other episodes of Sinister Societies for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, make sure you follow at Parcast on Facebook and on Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us and you want to listen to me and Hannah talk about other true crime cases, you can come check out Red Handed, which is our weekly true crime podcast. And uh, you can listen to that anywhere you want to listen to your podcast. And we just recorded a two-parter on none other than the Rostov Ripper, Mr. Andre Chikatilo. Yeah, so if you want to learn how he managed to get away with killing 53 people over that, not that long, really, uh, if you want to learn how he got away with that. And also, if you want to learn some stuff about Russia, then you can come and find us in our house, red-handed. You can listen to that wherever you find your podcasts. And we'll see you there or here or somewhere else next time. Bye. Sinister Societies is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo, Gemma Waters and Tracy Levy. 
Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro. Research by Chelsea Wood. Fact-checking by Laurie Siegel. And we're your hosts, Hannah Maguire and Saruti Bala.